I like to begin with prayer. I need, I need God's help because I am attempting today to do something impossible. I, I'm attempting to do something today that's out of my own strength and my ability. And so I desperately need God's help to do that. So if you will, let us pray one more time. Dear God, once again, we are so thankful and grateful for today, uh, for the nice weather, for the opportunity to gather and meet um, in, in North Tonawanda at a church here to, to hear your word, to, to sing songs of worship and praise, God. And so I pray that you will allow the hearts of myself and, and everyone here today to be, to be fertile, to be, to be ready to, to hear the word of God, to, to be challenged where we need to be challenged, to be convicted where we need to be convicted, to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. Um, God, because I think you have a lot to say for us. I, I think you have great things that you want for us. And so I pray that your will will be done, that we'll be able to see you in a greater light today. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think there is kind of a pervasive problem in the world today. Uh, I think it's, it's maybe a, a subtle problem that we maybe don't think of often as being maybe such a big issue or such a big problem. But I think it's more common than cer certain other sins that we would, we would label as, as bad. I think it's maybe more common than, than lying. I think it's, this problem is maybe more common than cheating. I, I think this, the, the problem that, that we have and we're going to look at today is even more foundational and more basic than even anger or maybe bitterness or frustration. I, I think there's a problem out there that doesn't just affect non-believers, but it can also affect believers. I think if I polled everyone in this room, if we were being honest, I think we'd all say at some point, maybe right now, maybe today, maybe last week, maybe in a week or so, we all would have felt this. And this is the idea of discontentment. This is the idea that, man, like, life isn't what I had expected. L life isn't going the way that I thought it would be. I thought, man, when I was 20 years old, and when I was going to be eventually 40, like, oh, I'd, I'd have life figured out. I'd have the perfect job. I'd have all the money I'd need. I'd have everything going well. And maybe that just has, hasn't happened for you. Or maybe as you're, you're nearing retirement age, you kind of always expected the, the golden years of your life would be, would be great. You, you wouldn't have to work anymore. And finally, you could kind of just enjoy everything you're doing. But maybe health issues showed up. Maybe finances weren't as, as solid as you hoped for. And so we've had this idea of discontentment. We've had this idea that, man, like life just maybe isn't what I had expected it to be. It's not where I want it to be right now. And so I, I think we can see that in 21st century America, but I think even as we, we look throughout scripture, even as we go to the, the beginning pages of the Bible, I think we see this idea of discontentment, right? Like, even if we were to look at the story of Adam and Eve, right? Like, we ask maybe, why did they sin, right? Like, they, they lived in this paradise, they lived in this great garden, they... They had animals that they could be around with. They had this beautiful scenery. Like, why did they sin? 
And obviously, one answer that, to that is, is pride, right? They, they were prideful, but I think pride's ugly cousin is discontentment. And so they were discontent in their situation. They were discontent in the paradise they, that they lived in. And so they're like, I think maybe God's holding back. I, I think maybe God doesn't have everything for me. He's maybe keeping something to himself, and I want that. So I'm going to pursue this. And I think even for us today, the question would be, well, why do we sin? Well, why, why do we fall into sin and maybe some sins that are constantly on replay in our life? Why do we sin? And I think one, one reason we can say why we sin is the fact of discontentment, right? We, we sin because we're not satisfied with what our life is. We're not satisfied with maybe how God is providing for us. And so I was reading this article uh, one time. It was really kind of helpful and really showing how evil and kind of treacherous discontentment can be because it looked at kind of certain sins of, of excess. And so whether that's the sin of lust, the sin of overeating, the sin of um, just indulging in things that you shouldn't be doing. And so it said, well, why, why, why do we do that? Well, because everything else may be in life. Maybe our, our job situation isn't going super well. Maybe our, our family isn't going super well. Maybe there's health issues. And so this article kind of wrote and said, we tend to sin because at least it gives us some control. It, it gives us some happiness that we can say, okay, if I, if I pursue this sin, I can have some happiness. Even though the rest of my life is, I'm discontent, I'm not happy with it. I can at least control this aspect of my life and have some happiness. And so discontentment fuels us to sin. When, when, we're, when we're discontent, we tend to sin more often, right? And what's, what's even worse about this situation is that when I talk about contentment, it almost feels like, can we actually have it? Can, can we actually acquire contentment of what God is talking about like, we've maybe had times in life where it's like, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm happy because this is going well for me. Or you know what? Like, I'm not in conflict right now, and so that's okay. But I, I think as we look at what the Bible says about contentment, what, what the word itself means, it's not maybe just a, a fleeting thought because, you know what, things are going, going well, and so you can be content here. It seems more like, a state of mind. It seems more of like an attitude that we can have. And so I, I think one thing that, that caused me to pause is like, can we actually have this? Can, can we have this that no matter what circumstance, no matter good or bad, no matter happy or sad, like we can truly be content. We, we can truly have this, this sense of, of peace, this sense of joy in our lives that's not here today and gone tomorrow, but will carry us through. Can we really have contentment? And so as we return to the passage of Scripture today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verses 10 to 13. And so it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to, how to be brought low, 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so we have here in a passage, as Paul kind of finishes up the letter of Philippians, he says something radical. He, he says something drastic. He says, in whatever situation, I can be content. In whatever situation, I've learned this secret of being content. And so for me, as I'm reading that, I'm like, okay, like, Paul, you're, you're saying this, and it's difficult. Like, how is it that you can say, like, in the lows, I can be content, right? Like, as Paul is literally writing this letter to the Philippians, he's in a palace. He's next to a king. He has all the riches and everything that he wants, right? Wrong. He, he's imprisoned. He's shackled. He's in chains. He's writing this trapped by himself, isolated in a prison. And so he's able to, to say, you know what? There is contentment out there, even in your lows, even in your need, even when the circumstances aren't looking so good, you can be content. And so just to kind of give us a framework just to see where, where mine was, my mind was coming from, and hopefully we can all kind of have the same idea, but I'm like, okay, what, what exactly is contentment? It, I think it's helpful sometimes to kind of give a definition, give an understanding of, of what I'm talking about today, about contentment when I say the word. And so kind of my own definition was a state of person's soul, heart, and mind in which they're joyfully satisfied in God and in their circumstances in life. Let me repeat that. Contentment is the state of a person's soul, heart, and mind in which they are joyfully satisfied in God and the circumstances of life. And so just a, a few things. Like I said, it's, it's a state of mind. It's, it's a state. It's not just a feeling that, that, that goes here and there. It's, it's a state of mind. It's an attitude. And it, it affects kind of everything and, and everything about who we are as people, right? It, it affects your soul, your heart, your mind. All these things are, are made up of, of what contentment is. You can't be content if your heart is overwhelmed. You can't be content if your mind is racing. And lastly, it's, it's joyful. It, it, contentment is peace. It is joy. It is these things coming together in which we recognize God is on the throne. God is in control and the circumstances of life is there. So then again, the question becomes, okay, if you, you give us this definition, how is it that we can truly be content? How is it that we can have this, this soul, heart, mind, joyful attitude that is content in what God has, good or bad? How is it that we can do this? And I think as we look at this passage, Paul says a couple things interesting, or at least I found interesting when I was reading this. He says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So we see here, just in this short little passage here, Paul says he has learned something. He has known something. He can do something, and that is be content. He, Paul says he can be content because 
he has learned a secret. He has learned something that is out there that he can know that his heart, mind, and soul can be satisfied in who God is. And so the question that I had for, for the rest of our time together is, okay, what is it that I need to embrace in the book of Philippians? What is it that I need to embrace to be content? What, what is it that I need to, to believe? What is it that I need to understand? What, what promises do I need to hold onto so that I can be content? And so I just wanted to go through kind of the book of Philippians, and I think the book of Philippians is a, a book in, 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 in my view that, that has it shapes me and helped me to more understand joy and peace and contentment because that's, that's really what, what the book is about. And so we're going to be going through kind of four quick things uh, to kind of answer the question, what do I need to do to embrace the idea of contentment? And so first thing, I think we need to embrace Jesus as the greatest treasure. I, I think this is foundational for us in order for us to kind of see the value of, of contentment to embrace this. So what do I mean? Okay, chapter one in, in Philippians, there's a verse here that every time I read it, it's, it's a bit shocking. It, it's, a bit, it's a bit hard to, 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 to truly say I, I believe this, but it comes and says, Philippians chapter one, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We look at this passage and we say, Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, the, the, the maybe the lies of contentment that we have kind of say like, you know what? You just need to acquire more things. Like, that, that is probably the biggest lie that we can believe about contentment. It's just, you know what? If, if you just acquire more money, you'll be content. If you just acquire a better job or a better title, you'll just be content. And, and I think we kind of all know and understand throughout the time in life that like that, that won't give us contentment. That, that no matter how much money we make, no matter what title position we have, it won't. But every single one of us in this, in this room, every person who's lived has pursued that lie. Like, you know what, if I just get this, I will be satisfied. If I just do this, I will be content. Right? Like, we look at popular culture, we look at celebrities, we look at athletes, we look at all these people who have wealth, who have power, and even still, that they, they show up empty. They, they, they don't have the certain riches or the accomplishments that give them true contentment. And so, how is it that Jesus being our greatest treasure, how is it that Jesus being our greatest treasure will allow us to be content? Well, let me start with the, the second part of that verse. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So the second part is the tough part, right? To die is gain. Like, that just goes in the face of, of typical life where you say, like, if I'm to live this life in the worldly standpoint, it's to gain riches, to gain, gain all this type of stuff. But Paul is saying, you know what? To die is gain. And, and how can death be gain? How, how can death allow us to be content? 
death, death can do that because it gives us a fuller picture and allows us to see Jesus more fully, right? So when we die, we are absent with the body, we are present with the spirit, we are with Christ. And so death is no longer, oh, I'm, I'm losing something. Death no longer is, oh, like, I miss out on all the, the fun possessions or activities. Death is now something that gives us gain. De death is now something that provides us, you know, I get Jesus. And so as I was thinking about this, I'm like, obviously Jesus has a lot to say and Jesus has very wise words. One of the things he says is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? And so Jesus is saying, okay, look at your life. L look at the treasures. Look at where you, you put your money. Look at where you put your time. Like, that is what you treasure. And so as I was thinking about that, I'm like, okay. So if my possessions, my treasures are in here and in worldly things are in possessions or titles or popularity, what will happen when they're gone? And death is kind of the, the equalizer, right? Death vanquishes all that because it's gone. But if Jesus is your greatest treasure, if, if Jesus is the one who is your greatest prize above all things, that prize can never be taken away. That, that, that prize you can't lose, you can't, death will not lose that prize. Death will only give us a greater picture of Jesus. And so we look at this, this verse and say, okay, to die is gain, but let's back up to the first part. It says, for me to live is Christ. And so I think another lie that we, we kind of look at is, you know what? Maybe we wouldn't say it out loud. Maybe we wouldn't voice it in front of people. But sometimes I think the idea that, okay, if I'm not satisfied, if I just have this, if I have this title of, you know what, a great employee, or if I have this title of, of parent, or if I have um, this job, or I have these possessions, you know what? That'll work. That'll be it. But again, that, that doesn't provide us true purpose. That doesn't pr provide us true meaning in life. Whereas we look at the, the verse, it says, for me to live is Christ. And so what Paul's getting at here is when, when Christ is your life, when Christ is truly your purpose, that everything that you have is for the purpose of glorifying Christ, that's where you can get true contentment. That's where you get true peace, true joy, because Jesus himself is the, the one in which we live our lives for. It is the focus and it is the meaning, the purpose behind all of which we do. And so we say, Jesus, I am living for you. And so I am content in life because my life is to be an example and a demonstration of who you are. Jesus, I, I can be content even, even when I die, even when I pass, because I know that death is no longer a loss for me, but it is a gain. And so I think one way we can, we can or what, one way that we need to embrace is that Jesus is the greatest treasure. That is how we can be content. Number two, maybe a lie that we believe is, you know what, like, God doesn't provide for me. Or you know what? He can't. Or he's, he's so busy with, with everyone else in the world and maybe like Snate, Satan snuck in and you know what? He's, he's attacking my life because God's so busy with everybody else that you know what? 
Satan's just attacking me, and he's winning. Satan's stronger. Satan's, Satan's doing something that God can't do. And it's the idea that, that suffering is, is, is outside of God's plan. It is outside of his purpose. But as we look to, again, another passage in, in Philippians, I want to read for us kind of what Paul is talking about. He says in chapter 1, verses 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Jumping to verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so Paul's looking at, at, at the circumstances, like I said, in, in the book of Philippians, he's writing from a prison cell. He, he's, he's writing being shackled, and he's saying, you know what? This circumstance, it is for the advancement of the gospel. I, I, I can be content being in, I'm assuming, kind of a not great prison cell, almost like a dungeon, chained. He's saying, I can be content. You know why? Because even in a bad situation, even in a terrible situation like this, God is using this for good. God is using this. He kind of lists three ways of what has, how it has advanced the gospel. Number one, he says he was able to share it with the prisoners, the prisoners that maybe he was shackled to or would come and give him his food. He was able to share the, the gospel with prisoners. Number two, because of his imprisonment, because of what he was going through, it was able to embolden the lives of other believers. Other believers saw, like, wow, like, if Paul is able to share the gospel, if Paul is able to be content in a situation that's terrible, that's awful, why can't I? Why can't I share the gospel with my fellow co-workers, with my family? Why can't I demonstrate the love of Jesus? If Paul is doing it in, in this terrible situation, why can't I? And thirdly, he looks and says in verse 18 that Christ is being proclaimed. That e even though he's in, in chains, he's a, he's a prisoner, he's saying Christ is being proclaimed. Christ is being magnified because other people are, are talking about him, that the word of God is going forth. And so he's saying suffering serves to advance the gospel. And so we can look at our situation, we can look at our, our difficulties in life, and as difficult as they may be, as, as real as they may be, as challenging as they are, we can say, you know what? God is not wasting this. This is not beyond what, what God has. This is not um, like God's just, God's just too busy, right? Like God just has too much stuff going on and you're kind of lower on his list than, than other people. And so he kind of forgot about you. We, we can say like, no, we can look at a passage like this and we can say God is using difficulties. God is using these sufferings as a way to, what he says, advance the gospel, that, that he knows his plan, even though we might not be able to see it in, in our difficulties and our struggles, we can say God is using it for his good. God is using it for his plan to accomplish his purposes 
and we can take heart that our suffering is not wasted. So that can give us true contentment. Thirdly, what is it that we need to embrace in order to be content? Fast forwarding now to, to chapter four, there, there was a lot of things that I saw from, from this book, but I just wanted to keep it to four so we're not here super long. Um, but as, as we turn to, to chapter four, I want us to look at kind of what he's talking about as he is in closing of, of this book, starting in verse six. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Where, like, this, again, is, is a summary of, like, wow, like, this is how we should live. This is the amazing gift that we get from God. He says, you know what? Do you want peace that surpasses understanding? Do, do, do you want peace that, like, even though circumstances in life are, are out of control, they, they, they don't make sense, you can have peace. And it's interesting is, as you look at this passage here, he really focuses on two types of things. He focuses on the mind and the heart. Now, what, what happens or what, what, what do we feel when we're discontent? We feel kind of that, that weight on us, that, that burden almost, almost suffocating of being like, how am I going to get through this? H how am I going to be able to provide for my family? How am I going to be able to accomplish what I need to? And those feelings are overwhelming. They're, they're crippling to the heart, right? Like they are debilitating. It's like, God, what am I supposed to do? But not only just is your kind of heart overwhelmed, what also happens? Your mind starts to race. You start to being like, okay, well, if I, if I don't have enough money to make this, I, I'm going to have to do this. And you start planning things out. And there's so much going on in your head that it's, it's exhausting. It, it's tiring to try and think and, and plan through all these types of things. And so we have an overwhelmed heart and we have an overactive mind. And so the, these are some of the lies that we believe that, you know what, God... God can't work in your situation. Or maybe God won't work in your situation. And so if we think that, then it's like, well, I really need to do this myself. I, I really need to, to get going, and I need, I need to fix my problems. And so it becomes the, the me. It becomes the I. And so instead of maybe going to God or, or, and seeking help, it becomes I need to fix this. I need to do this. I need to change my circumstance. Whereas what we see here, Paul is saying, do you want to be content? We can be content when we recognize God's abundant, God's abundant peace through prayer and thanksgiving. He, he, he gives us the way in everyday situations, right? He says, do not be anxious about anything. It's not just like, okay, the big things don't be anxious about. But he's saying, even the small things, e even something you might think is super small and be like, well, I don't need to worry God about that. Like, this is so small, I don't need to worry him. He's saying, do you want to have peace? Peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace, peace that doesn't even make sense in the situation that people are in. 
but you get that. He says, you can have that through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. And so prayer is now, God, I am casting my burdens onto you. God, it doesn't matter if it's big thing, small thing, God, I'm casting these onto you. I, I, I need your help. And I'm thankful because I've known what God has done in the past. I, I've known what God has done throughout my life. I see throughout all of scripture what God has done. I, I, I see and understand that, man, the same God of Adam and Abraham and Isaac and David and Moses is the same God that is working for me. And so what is something that we need to embrace to be content? We need to embrace God's abundant peace through prayer and thanksgiving. We, we need to embrace this. We need to, to wrap our, our arms around this. We need to, to act this out. We need to recognize like, whoa, things aren't going right. I, I recognize the overwhelmingness in my heart. I recognize the overactivity in my mind. We need to step back. We need to say, God, like, I need to come to you in prayer. I need to, to cast these things onto you. And so I, I love what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't deny that there's going to be difficulty. He doesn't deny that life is going to be tough and challenging and hard. He doesn't deny that. What he does is saying, come to me, I'll give you rest. He says, come to me, I'm the one who's going to provide you peace, which is, which is so radical because instead of like trying to fix the situation, trying to like make it all better, Jesus says, just come to me. I'll take care of it. Like, come to me in prayer, come to me in thanksgiving. And as we look and as we see in this passage, he says, I will guard your hearts and minds. The, the, the two areas that are overworked because of discontentment, the two areas that we struggle with when, when can, discontentment happens. He says, I'll give you peace. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an abundant contentment in who I am. And so finally, lastly, um, the last truth that we need to embrace, the last, the last uh, promise that we need to embrace is that God provides all that you need. Where am I getting that? Again, chapter 4, this is coming right out of the text in verse 19. It says, And God will supply every need of yours to, the rich, to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It says, God will supply every need of yours. The lie is that, you know what? God really can't do this. God, God really truly can't provide every, every need that I have, like the need for food for myself and maybe for my family. The, the need for being able to, to take care and live life in the fullest extent of what that means, being like, God, God can't do this. Like, God maybe is just too busy. Maybe he's just not able. Maybe he's just not truly as good as he says that he is. And so we look to this passage and we, and we say, God will supply every need of yours because of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so we can look at this and say, what do I need to embrace to be content? We need to embrace the promise that we have in scripture. We need to embrace 
this one promise of many promises that we have that God will supply every need of yours. That, that, that God looks upon you as, as a beloved. He, he looks upon you and, and will never let you go without what you need. He, he will never be like, uh, you know what, like, Mike's been asking me too much for so, so much lately. You know what, like, I got to focus on other people. Like, I got, got, got my hands full. Mike, stop praying to me. Stop asking for things. I'm just going to focus on somebody else. Now, again, we, we need to look and say, and God will supply every need of yours. That doesn't necessarily mean every, every want. doesn't necessarily mean every prayer request will be, uh, will be accepted, will be given, will be given the, the stamp of yes. But what it does mean is that we can say every need that we have will be supplied because of his riches. Right? Like, who is richer than the creator of all things? Who is richer than the one who spoke the universe into existence? Who, who is richer than the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who, who is richer than the one who is infinite in power? Who is infinite in grace? Who is infinite in love? Who is richer than this God? And so as we come to a conclusion of, of kind of this passage, what we're looking at is that we get to, to verse 13 of, of chapter 4. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is a verse that very often gets taken out of context. But as, as we saw in kind of the passage that we looked at, verses 10 to 13, really the, the strength that Jesus is providing us is the strength of contentment. The, the strength that, hey, you know what? In the abundance, I can be content. And in the need... I can be content. In the highs, in the lows, I can be content in Christ. I, I, I can be content in everything that, that Jesus provides for me. And so I've talked a lot about discontentment and how it's bad. And it is bad, right? It, it, it's not something that, that we can fill in this life. But I think in some sense, discontentment can also be good. I, I think there is that that desire in our hearts, right? Like um, Augustine, one of the great theologians says, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. And so maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never kind of entered into that relationship with Jesus and said, you know what? Like you are the true king. You are the true savior. You are the true Lord in my life. And you know what? You feel discontent. You feel like You've tried many different things. You've tried pursuing after maybe money, maybe relationships, maybe a title. And you know what? It's come up empty. It, it's come up short. It's come up lacking. And so I think in some sense that's good because God has made us for something greater. We're not maybe satisfied with, with you know what? Like, as long as I have this job, life is going to be perfect. And so God has given us in our heart a, a craving, a longing for something more. And so if, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if, if you do not feel that you have embraced what contentment is, that this peaceful joy and satisfaction in God, I would ask that you would, you would repent. I would, I would ask that you would turn to Jesus and say, like, Jesus truly is the only one who can provide us contentment. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through him. And so I'd ask that you would turn from your sin. I would ask that you would reject worldly things, the, the things of, of, this, of this world that says, you know what, if you just had this, you'll be content. Because there is no this that we reach. There is no, okay, if I just had this, because it's the lie that we buy into that, oh, if I just get this, and then when you reach it, you just want that. And when you get there, you just have to have this. And it's, it's not able to satisfy. It's not able to give peace to our soul. And so if you don't know Jesus, I would ask, I would, I would plead with you that you would turn from maybe your selfishness, turn from your, your focus on worldly things and find true contentment in Jesus. But maybe those of us who are believers here, those of us who, who have looked at this, if I were to ask you, what would it look like for you to be content? What would it look like if I kind of imaginarily gave you a blank check and said, whatever it is that you want to write down on this check will be given to you? But what would that look like for you? What would you fill in for that? Would it be stuff? Would it be titles? Would it be a position? What would you fill in? And I hope as we kind of look through and have walked through the book of Philippians, we would say, man, like, I would write on that check that Jesus would be that greatest treasure in my life. I would hope that Jesus would in my living and in my dying, be, be the greatest reward that I would have. Maybe you would write down being like, God, like, even though I'm suffering, even though I'm in difficulty right now, God, help me to see how suffering is part of the plan, part of the advancement of the gospel and the glorification of Jesus. Maybe you'd, you'd say, God, I just, I just need your peace in daily situations. I need to come to you in prayer and maybe you're believing lies about who, who God is. You're believing lies that he's not as good or not capable. I pray that you would believe the promise. And so as we look at Philippians today, I pray that we might be strengthened. We might be able to do all things. We might be able to be content in Christ because of who he is and what he has done for us. Let us pray. Dear God, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, for so much for the, the letter of Philippians in which we can look at and see the truth of scripture. We, we can look at Paul's letter and say he had learned the secret of contentment. He had known in whatever situation he can be content. God, and so I pray the same thing for us. I pray whether we are abounding right now or whether we're low, whether we're in need or have everything we, we, we want, God, whatever the circumstance is, I pray that you can help us to be content. I pray that we can understand, be at, at peace with who you are and what you're doing. God, I pray that you can give us joy in the circumstances in life. God, I, I ask for you to do something that only you can, that you can provide us with true contentment. You can provide us with peace that surpasses understanding with joy that gives us purpose in Christ. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus.